biology. 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 Yes, hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of the HSC Biology Podcast. I'm going to continue running you through the syllabus and we start at the dot point that is model the formation of new combinations of genotypes produced during meiosis, including but not limited to interpreting examples of autosomal sex linkage, codominance, incomplete dominance and multiple alleles as well as constructing and interpreting information and data from pedigrees and Punnett squares. So, on the previous episode, we talked a lot about crossing over and independent assortment and random segregation. And today on the podcast, we're going to be looking at how those things lead us to the way in which gen- uh, genes are passed down from parent to offspring. Um, and it is pretty interesting. So, let's get into it. So before we start, I think it is very important to go through some key definitions so that as I'm speaking, you guys understand it. So if you're not sure of what each of these words mean that I go through, then make sure you go and uh, really go over them so you understand them a little better because I'm going to be referring to them um, throughout the podcast. So we're going to start with gene and we have talked a lot about genes already and a gene is just a, a region Um, on a chromosome that codes for a specific thing. So if you remember that you get a chromosome from mum and dad and both those chromosomes have a region that codes for, let's say, height. And on the chromosome, there is a a specific length of DNA that will code for height. So that's the first one. It's a a region of DNA uh, that codes for a specific trait. The second one is allele, and again, we've gone through this, but an allele is the alternate version that you can get of those genes. So again, you get a copy from mum and dad, and the gene region could be for height, and it could be tall or short. And so you could get one or the other. You could get a tall allele or a short allele, so tall from dad and short from mum, and the variants of those genes are called alleles. So an allele is just a variant of a gene. So to make it just a little bit easier, we like to abbreviate those alleles. So instead of just saying tall or short, we quite often give them a specific nomenclature. So uh, for tall, we might use a capital T, and for short, we might use a lowercase t. Now the reason that we're using just the letter T in a capital or a lowercase letter is for two main reasons. First is to show that it's something called a monohybrid cross. And so mono just means one trait. So we're just looking at height in this case. And for argument's sake, let's just say it's tall or short are the alleles we're talking about. Now we can associate that with a capital T for tall and a lowercase t for short. Another reason that we use the uh, capital letters and lowercase letters is to represent the dominant and recessive allele. A dominant allele is one that will always be expressed if you get that allele. So let's say that mum and dad both give you an allele for a trait, height. Dad gives you a capital T for tall, and mum gives you a lowercase t for short. The dominant allele, always represented by a capital letter, will always be expressed if you have that allele. So if dad gave you a capital T, you're going to be tall. It doesn't matter that mum gave you a lowercase t, you're going to carry that allele, but you won't get that trait. And so we call that trait from mum recessive. So the dominant trait is 
always represented by a capital letter. The recessive trait is always represented by a lowercase letter. Now, in order to be short, you actually need two copies of a recessive allele. So that would mean that instead of dad giving you the allele for height being tall, he would need to give you a lowercase t for short, and so would mum. And so if you had two lowercase t's, um, you would express the recessive trait, which would be short in this case. Now, this is overly simplified and works very well for plants, which we'll talk about in a minute, but not so well for humans, where actually uh, a few uh, genes usually regulate how things work. But uh, for argument's sake, it's, it's uh, a lot easier to understand if you just associate one or the other, you know, tall or short, um, until you really understand the, the intricacies of this process. So now that you have a basic understanding of the nomenclature, the capital T's and lowercase t's for dominant and recessive, we can now talk about the names we give to them uh, when you have two copies. So when you have a capital T and another capital T, we call that homozygous. Um, homo, the same, and zygous has to do with the zygote, so the, the uh, offspring that it's going to be. So two capital T's will be called homozygous. Now, two lowercase t's will also be called homozygous. Okay, but the difference between them is that one is dominant and one is recessive. So two capital T's we call homozygous dominant and two lowercase t's we call homozygous recessive. So not too difficult with that one. The one that most people mix up is the middle one when you have a capital T and a lowercase t or alternate lettering. We say that you are heterozygous. Okay, heterozygous. So just to reiterate, homozygous dominant two capital letters, like capital T and a capital, capital T. Homozygous recessive, you have two lowercase letters, like little t and little t. And heterozygous is where you have one um, uppercase letter and one lowercase letter, so capital T and a lowercase t. Now, two things to note just before I finish the definition section is that you can use any letter you want for any trait that you get. So it doesn't matter if you're picking T's for height or, um, you know, P's for hair color or A's for um, eye color. It really doesn't matter what letters you pick as long as you associate the capital letter with the dominant trait and the lowercase letter with the recessive trait. All right, the final two words we're going to talk about are phenotype and genotype. Now, I mentioned phenotype in a previous podcast, and the phenotype is the physical characteristics that are represented. So when I'm saying tall or short, they're physical representations. You know, that's what you actually are. They're the traits you actually get. Um, now, in reality, it's actually about the expression of the protein. So um, the phenotype is the protein that is expressed. And the other word that we're going to learn today is genotype. So um, the genotype are the actual genes responsible for the phenotype. So let me just explain that. If you get two capital T's, okay, you should know now that that means you are tall. And so we say your genotype is two capital T's or homozygous dominant and your phenotype is tall. And that's as simple as it gets. Genotypes are the gene combination or the uh, allele combinations you get. So capital T, capital T. Um, capital T lowercase t or two lowercase t's if we're looking at height and phenotype is the actual expression of those genes the expression of that protein um, that you get so tall or short so phenotype and genotype
Right, let's get into the dot point now. Uh, however, it would be remiss of me not to mention the man himself who really started this entire process, and that is, of course... Yes, you guessed it. It is indeed Gregor Mendel, the father of modern genetics. Who was he? Well, he was an Austrian monk, but he was also really good at science. Um, And he probably didn't know how good he was, and I don't think a lot of other people knew how good he was. Um, But his ability to keep uh, very meticulous records was what led to his discovery of uh, the ideas of inheritance. And so... It all really started when he just began to investigate the ideas of inheritance and eventually he ended up looking at a particular type of plant, a pea plant, um, um, because they had lots of unique traits. And what he was looking at specifically was how they inherited certain traits. And it's good because the easiest one to talk about is once again being tall or short. So in his garden, he managed to grow a group of only tall pea plants and a group of only short pea plants. Now, he didn't know why they were only tall and only short, but he knew that when he pollinated the tall with the tall, that it would make a tall plant. And when he pollinated the short with the short, they would make a short plant. And so he kept this going until he had two uh, you know, separate gardens with only tall and only short plants. Now... He then took the next step and thought, well, if I cross the tall and the short, I should probably get a medium, which which did make sense. And so he did the cross. And so he pollinated a tall flower with a short flower. And what he found is that the plant that came out was tall. Um, And not just one plant, lots of plants. In fact, all of the plants came out tall. And he wondered why this happened. And so, again, he... uh, dug a little deeper, and he took the tall plants from the second generation and he crossed them. And every now and then he got a short plant. About 25% of the time he got a short plant. And so he thought, hmm, I think there has been a trait that has skipped a generation, but again, he wasn't sure why. He decided to associate these uh, traits with letters, and I've already spoken about them today, the visible ones being the dominant and the ones that were hidden were the recessive. Let's go through that one more time and take a look at why they came out that specific way. So I told you that he had a garden of all tall plants. And you remember before I spoke about the fact that the tall allele, capital T, uh, was the dominant allele. And so those plants he had in that garden were all capital T, capital T. Now... When we cross two plants, so if you took the pollen from one tall plant and put it on the stigma of another tall plant, he would notice that the plant that came about was also tall. And the way that we work that out is through a Punnett square. And again, the podcast isn't a great medium for explaining a Punnett square, but I will do my best. If you imagine the first tall plant has two capital T's, okay? Capital T, capital T. And the other tall plant also has two capital T's. All we need to do is draw up a box that is like three by three and we go down and across in the box or across and down um, so that we can see how those T's line up. Now, you will have to look up this Punnett square if you're listening to this and haven't seen it before to understand what I'm talking about. But it's just a really simple way to statistically work out what combinations you can get in a... uh, in any given situation where there are two individuals producing an offspring. And so 
In this case, because all of the alleles are capital T, the only possible outcome is that the offspring are going to have capital T's. And so we call that, once again, homozygous dominant, but these were pure breeds. And you may have heard of that before, like a pure breed. It's only that type. And so we had a pure breeding line of homozygous dominant tall plants in one garden and a pure breeding line of homozygous recessive plants in the other garden and we apply the same principles of the, of the Punnett square to each of those. Now what he did is he took one group from tall and one group from short, and we're going to notice a specific difference here. When we do our Punnett square, we now have two capital T's and two lowercase t's. So we can go down and across or across and down in our Punnett square, and our outcome will be that we have four offspring with a capital T and a lowercase t. So four possible combinations. Now, because they have a capital T and a lowercase t, we call it a heterozygous. So all of the offspring will come out heterozygous. But because they're carrying one capital T, we know that if you have one copy of that allele, you will get that trait. And so because they all came out with that one capital T, they were all tall. This is why his second generation came out tall, because that dominant allele was being expressed and the recessive allele was being hidden, but it was still there. And so when he crossed those heterozygous plants, the ones with capital T and lowercase t, that's when he found the unique difference in the offspring. Because we're crossing capital T and lowercase t with capital T and lowercase t, 75% of the offspring will have a capital T in their genotype, whereas 25% will get two recessive alleles. Again, you want to be able to do this in a Punnett square. Now, we call these generations P, F1, and F2. P being the parent generation, easy to understand. They're our original plants, the, the tall plant and the short plant, the pure breeding plants we started with. Now, our F1 generation, standing for filial, meaning sons, uh, that generation, our F1 generation, is all heterozygous, okay? And our F2 generation is where we cross those heterozygous plants and we end up with a 3 to 1 ratio of tall to short plants. And our genotypes are even more unique. We have 25% that are homozygous dominant. We have 50% that are heterozygous and we have 25% that are homozygous recessive. And that is how Mendel figured out the ideas of dominant and recessive traits. So pretty cool there. All right, let's go through some of the keywords in the dot point now and explain what they mean. The first one being interpreting autosomal inheritance. So what is an autosome? An autosome is any of the chromosomes that are not the sex chromosomes. So in humans, we have 22 autosomes, or 22 pairs, uh, and they are the non-sex chromosomes. So chromosome 1, chromosome 2, chromosome 3, again, non-sex chromosomes. Now these ones are often the easiest to understand because when we use the autosomes, we only ever use monohybrid crosses. Now I know I've spoken about a dihybrid cross in a previous podcast, and that really isn't something you need to know. It was just something that uh, helped to explain a concept, but dihybrid crosses are far too complex to be able to do at this point. What we're doing mainly are monohybrid crosses, which is exactly what Mendel did. And so mono is the idea that it's one trait, and the hybrid is the idea of crossing them. 
And so when we do an autosomal uh, inheritance Punnett square, we're really comparing one trait like height. So are you tall or short or uh, do you have brown hair or blonde hair or, or et cetera? It should only be for one trait, so monohybrid. But yes, the autosomes are those chromosomes that are not the sex chromosomes. So now we're going to take a look at where the results of inheritance don't match up to Mendel's laws of inheritance. Uh, so there are some results that we find that don't give us that nice dominant and recessive relationship. And they're already in the dot point that I spoke about before, like sex linkage, codominance, incomplete dominance, and multiple alleles. So all of them don't match up with that, uh, you know, the ideas of dominant and recessive relationships found in the autosomes. So we're going to start with the sex chromosomes. And that makes up the remainder of our karyotype. So I spoke about the autosomes and now we're talking about the sex chromosome. So all of your chromosomes together is known as your karyotype. And we have 22 autosomes and we have one uh, pair of sex chromosomes as well. Now in females, the sex chromosomes are X and X. And in males, they are X and Y. Um, and if you look at the shapes, that's what they look like. The uh, male chromosome is very short and stunted. Um, and females get two copies of an X chromosome. Now, when we take a look at how this is different, we know that females have an XX and males have an XY, but sometimes there are only genes that are carried on an X chromosome. And you can see we're going to have an issue when we do a Punnett square now um, if only the X chromosome is carrying a trait because the male has that Y chromosome, we're going to get different results. So we use slightly different nomenclature for the sex linkage questions. And usually we are looking at X-linked conditions like hemophilia or colorblindness. But there certainly are exceptions to that and the HSC are more than likely to give you something that isn't one of these, but this is a really good place to start. So the nomenclature we use for this is we write the XX and XY every time for the genotype. So if you're a female, you always write XX down. If you're a male, always XY. But what we do is we add another letter above the X's to the right. You know, just like when you do when you put a little squared sign, like two squared, it's the same thing. You know, you put it up the top. So um, whatever letter you might pick. So we're going to go with hemophilia for the condition. And so the letters we choose will be exactly the same as how we chose it for the previous one. Um, so for the autosome. So we're going to use capital and lowercase letters. And we are still going to see a dominant and recessive relationship, but the the numbers don't work out the same as Mendel, um, Mendel's experiments. So if you're a female, you have those two X chromosomes. And let's say that we have a female who is homozygous dominant. Okay, uh, That means they carry two copies of the dominant allele. So capital H and capital H. And the dominant gene means that you don't have the condition. So you don't have hemophilia. So the female in this case has two X chromosomes um, and two capital H's. They don't have the condition. Now, the male has an XY, and you write XY down, but you only put the little uh, letter above the X chromosome. You leave the Y out of it, okay? Leave the Y out of it completely. You don't put any letter there, but you do need to put the Y in. Now, we're going to say for this one that the male carries the condition, and so he gets a lowercase h. Now, this is where we have the, the main issue. A male can only carry one allele. He can either carry a capital or a lowercase letter. And so whichever he gets, 
is the condition that he gets. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you only need one copy of a recessive allele and then you have that condition. Um, but that is, that is the, how it works. You only need one copy in males and that's why we get those different results. Now, at this point, it would be a bit too complex to try and go through the Punnett square. So really, you should be able to do the Punnett square I'm talking about now, where the female has those two capital H's and the male is carrying the lowercase h. And you should be able to work out what the results are going to be, um, what percentage chance the female and male offspring will be of getting the condition. Um, and you should find that none of them get the condition, and hopefully you can work out why. Now, a few things I like to add here just to make it more um, relevant for the kids, um, and I think this is something that the HSC would do, is I like to give different examples. So sometimes I talk about Y-linked conditions, um, but my favorite one to use by far is to talk about the sex chromosomes in birds. Now, in birds, they have, instead of what we call you know XX and XY, they have a ZZ and ZW combination. And the interesting thing about that is that the females carry the alternate version, ZW, and the male birds carry the ZZ. So it actually works out for a really good skills question. And if you uh, type in, um, I think it's a pigeon punnet square or um, sex, links in, sex linkage in pigeons, there's a really nice diagram that goes through it. So I, I use that every year as a nice stimulus question to really test the kids' understanding of the process. So I hope you guys enjoyed that one. All right, the next type of inheritance we're going to talk about that doesn't match up with the Mendelian ratios is codominance. Now, codominance is really interesting because instead of having that dominant, re uh, dominant recessive relationship that we've spoken about so far, both alleles that you can get are dominant. Now, that might sound a little confusing, but it just means that whatever allele you get, you will express that protein. And so you could get one and you'll express that or another and you express that or you can get both and you express both proteins. Now, the most likely example that you will get for this one is coat color in cows. And so we quite often use the uh, red cow, the white cow and the roan cow, uh, roan being red and white. Now, the nomenclature we use for this type of inheritance is also different again, and there's two ways you can do it. But the most common way is that we just associate capital letters to both of the traits or colors. So for a red cow, we might use the capital R, and for a white cow, we might use a capital W. Now, you can see at this point, we're using two different letters. That's the only way that we can sort of make this work. Sometimes you see uh, that people use a large letter C, and they use the superscript again, so that you know the little squared sign above, and they'll put the R and the W up there, and they'll just have C's the whole way through. I actually use that for the next one, which is incomplete dominance that we're going to go through in a minute. So as I'm referring to the uh, the codominant ones, I'm just going to use capital letters. So how this works is that, as I said before, both get expressed if you have both alleles. So the likely inheritance of crossing a pure breeding red cow, that is, you know, RR, capital RR, homozygous dominant cow, with a homozygous white cow or homozygous dominant white cow, is that you're going to get all individuals that are heterozygous, that is W and R or R and W, doesn't matter for this way, which way you put it. Um, and that means they're going to get both types of proteins. Now, this is where people get a little confused, and I always like to draw it on the board, like I draw a red hair, and then a white hair, and then a red hair, and then a white hair. That's 
oversimplifying it. It's not that you know specific. It's more like there are patches of red and patches of white. And you, you quite often see this in, in animals where, you know, they have both traits, but they're both expressed the same color. It's the red and the white. It's, it's not a blending, definitely not a blending, because that is, again, what we're going to talk about next. Um, so, yes, for co-dominant relationships, there are two dominant alleles, and you will express whichever one you get or both of them, and you express it the same way. So the red will come out the same red, the white will come out the same white, it is not a blending. It is the same one. It's like having alternate hairs for cows and coat color. One way I teach my kids to look out for this kind of question is that whenever there are three phenotypes, so in our example we just spoke about, there are three phenotypes. You could be red, you could be white, or you could be red and white. That only occurs when there are co-dominant relationships, incomplete dominant relationships, or what we'll speak about last, which is multiple alleles. So you already rule out X-linkage and autosomal. As soon as you see three phenotypes, um, you know that it's going to be a co-dominant, incomplete dominant, or uh, multiple allele question. So the next one we're looking at is incomplete dominance, and it's so similar to co-dominance. The main difference with this one is that it is a blending of those traits. This one makes more sense to people because, you know, when we see each other as individuals, you don't look like exactly like your mom or your dad. You might be blended in between. So this one to me makes more sense and I think is a good logical way to explain things. Um, but it just depends on the genes we're looking at. Now, for this one, I use the same combination of letters. Um, I use capital letters to represent the, you know, different colors or whatever it is. Um, and usually I look at flowers. And again, I'm going to look at red and white flowers. Um, and so as not to confuse you, I use a large capital C as my main letter. So I put, you know, CC down. And then once again, I use the superscript or the little squared sign. And I go C and then I'll put an R for if it's a red flower or C and a capital W if it's a white flower. Um, and so if we look at an example of this where we have a red flower, I will put CR. And if it's a pure breeding red flower, I put CR, CR, so two of them, um, crossed with a pure breeding white flower. So I'd put CW, CW. Um, and if I did my Punnett square, I would see that all of my genotypes come out as CR, CW. Um, but the color or the phenotype we're going to get is a blending. We're going to get pink instead. So when we cross a red and a white flower, we're going to get a pink flower. And again, we've got three phenotypes here to look at, um, but you're not expressing both proteins in this case. You're getting some blending in between. Um, so red and white flowers make pink flowers, um, which is the best one to use for that. All right, now we are up to by far the most confusing and difficult inheritance method which was a question in the 2019 HSE and that is multiple alleles. So this is where as the name suggests there are more than one or two alleles responsible usually three or more um, and the best example to use for this one is blood typing and you all may have heard of this before that you know we all have different blood types um, and that is due to the fact that there are you know multiple alleles responsible for for the range of blood types that we have. So the blood types we can talk about are A, B, AB, and O. So we have sort of like four main blood type groups. And what those blood types mean is that if you're type A, I always draw like a little cell on the board and I put a little um, 
you know, marker molecule coming off it and I draw a, a little triangle and that represents my A marker. Um, and if for your B type, I'll draw another cell next to it and I'll put a little um, another marker on that cell and I'll draw a little box and that represents that your B type. Um, and now if you're A and B type, I'll draw the uh, another cell on the board and I'll put a little, you know, uh, marker molecule, but I'll draw a triangle and next to it another marker molecule with the box. So you get both of the marker molecules. So if you're A type, you get the triangles. If you're B type, you get the box. And if you're A and B, you get both triangles and boxes. So that's the best way to represent that that's the phenotype you're getting. Now the O type is where you have no marker molecules and no marker molecules uh, means that you don't have the square or the uh, you know the triangle. Um, now why that's important is um, well for one when we're donating blood those of you that are O negative will know that you or well, you may not know this but you are a universal donor your marker molecules do not set off the immune response whereas if you're A or B or AB um, you're going to have an issue if you donate blood to a different blood type because of those markers. Now, when we go into the details of how this works and the nomenclature we use, it certainly is confusing. And I really think it's going to be hard for me to describe this on a podcast. You need to look at a table. You need to go and look up the blood typing table, but I'll quickly run through it just in case. So the first thing to note is that both A and B are dominant alleles. And that means, once again, if you get an A, you express it. If you get a B, you express it. Um, and if you get AB, you express both. Um, so we've already talked about that co-dominant relationship, and that is still true for the blood typing. Um, but you also have a recessive allele to put in the mix, and that's the O type. So the nomenclature that we use for this, for the dominant alleles A and B, we use a capital I in front of it, and we put the A and B at the top using the subscript, uh, superscript again. So it goes up the top. Um, whereas for the O blood typing, you get a little I or a lowercase I, and you don't need to put anything on that. Um, so I'll give you the examples of what would make you an A blood type, B blood type, AB, and then an O. And really, it's, it's going to have a look at what all this means and, and checking it out on a table. So if you are A blood type, you have to have an A you know, a capital A in your genotype. So your genotype's going to be, again, capital I, and then at the top, the superscript, capital A, and you could have another one of those, so IA again, or you could have I capital A and then a lowercase i, and that would mean that, you know, you're carrying that recessive allele. But we've spoken about this with Mendel's relationships and, and dominant and recessive genes. As long as you have one copy of that capital A, that's what you're going to express. Now, the same is true for B. You could be capital IB and lowercase i, or capital IB, capital IB, and that would mean that you are B type. The same is then true for AB, so capital IA, capital IB makes you AB blood type, but to be O blood type, you just need two lowercase i's, and that is how you get the O blood type. Now, armed with all that knowledge, you would then look at how that works out in a Punnett square, and you're still going to do the same kind of Punnett square, like you're only going to have two alleles to cross from the parents, and the answers you get will just be depending on those relationships. So if it's the capital letters, you know, you're going to get the expression of that gene. If it's the lowercase ones, you're going to get the recessive gene. So you just have to put it into a Punnett square and really understand that A, B, A, B and O relationship and how that works out in a Punnett square.
Now, one thing I do get asked quite a bit is what about the positive and negative? So why am I AB positive or why am I, you know, uh, O negative and, and what's the deal there? And that's something that adds another layer of complexity that I don't think you need to know for the HSC. But it basically means that you are either positive for the rhesus factor, which means you just have another marker molecule on the outside of your cells, or you're negative for the rhesus factor in that you have nothing. So an O negative individual has no marker molecules and no rhesus factor. So the immune system can't detect that it is a different blood type and therefore it won't attack it. So that's the basic principle behind the positives and negatives. Well, I hope that was helpful for today, guys. I am going to go through Pedigree's next lesson. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you listening and uh, yeah, catch you next time. Bye.